Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1331, air date October 2nd, 2023. So John, are you going to go live? So I don't need to go into StreamYard at all, right? Okay. Um, Recording in progress. So tell us, John, you're live? Okay, go ahead. We're live. John, you may want to remove your thing from the bottom. Got All right, Kevin. Okay, so I'll introduce my show. Uh, yep. <laughs> welcome to Truth Jihad Audiovisual, the uh, best incendiary interviews with the most interesting people calling it the way they see it since 2006. Yeah, Kevin Barrett. I brought on all sorts of really important uh, critics of current leadership going right back to the heyday of the 9-11 Truth Movement in 2006. And today I'm happy to bring on the guy who may be the most fire-breathing anti-establishment presidential candidate that we've got for the coming election. That's Dr. Shiva Aradavi. He just goes by Dr. Shiva. Uh, and he's been well-known in the COVID freedom movement and other alternative media for uh, several years at least, he has several degrees from MIT, has run for governor in Massachusetts, has been involved in all sorts of interesting controversies and movements, but he's a serial tech entrepreneur with a really impressive record, very smart guy who is going all out to change things. So hey, it's a welcome, Dr. Shiva. It's an honor to have you on the show. Great, Kevin, how are you? I'm well, I'm getting, having a, a wild time here in Morocco. We moved here, uh, our stuff in the shipping container finally showed up two days ago, six weeks late. And so we're happy and uh, ready to talk about fixing American politics. So maybe I can come back to that godforsaken country someday for longer than a brief visit. Uh, so uh, where, where do we even start about what's wrong with America and how to fix it? I think we should start with white liberalism, okay? And that's what we should start because white liberals, uh, particularly, and we were speaking about this, particularly the white liberal intelligentsia, is a reason that you have the destruction of America taking place. Because they have been the people who have been the apologists and the promoters of what I call not-so-obvious establishment. You know, thinking that someone from above is going to come save us. And they have theories on this, really bankrupt theories. So right now, uh, th that strata of people have historically promoted scumbags who have been the wings, who have been the fringes of the establishment. Um, so Jesse Jackson, right? Or Bernie Sanders, or now Booby fucking Kennedy. And I use these very, very, this vitriol against these people because I don't come from them, Kevin. And I was very fortunate to get all their education and their knowledge. I came from below. Very, very few people will know the journey, the, the you know, the journey I've walked through, the, the shoes that I've walked in as a low caste, you know, what they called an untouchable in India, the journey that I, I had to go through, my parents had to go through to come to the United States. And every microsecond of my life has been fighting these guys. And the, the real enemy in my struggle has always been the quote unquote, and I want to put double quotes around the white liberals. Now the white liberals represent a multiracial aristocracy of liberalism who claim they want to help people of color, who claim they want to help poor people. But what they do is they want to keep people in bondage in their nice little cages. And as long as you stay bounded in those cages, 
they promote you and they advance you. But when you step out of that cage, they become very, very angry. Okay. Um, yeah. But the current moron that they're promoting is Booby fucking Kennedy, who comes from that white liberal establishment, you know, speaks all the words of anti-establishment, but is fully entrenched in the establishment. You know, a couple of a decade ago, they used uh, they used Bernie Sanders, and 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 before that, they use you know you can, they have a lineage of these people, black and white. And I was calling out Bernie Sanders back in two thousand and two. Okay, um, and I was called you know because of the experience I'd gone through with Jesse Jackson, and we called out you know uh, Trump. Trump is on the right, you know, or the Rand Pauls, right? Those kind of people, right? But the establishment typically has these fringe people act like they're anti-establishment, but they exist as the wolves and the foxes to literally talk enough, but to shepherd people back into the arms of the establishment. Now what's happened is people have awoken to the uniparty. So now because of our movement for truth, freedom, health, and at my candidacy, booby fucking Kennedy, and my prediction, he may hook up with someone like Tulsi Gabbard, are going to position themselves again, like the Bernie or the Trump of the anti-establishment quote unquote anti-establishment movement to try to hijack the real revolutionaries of what we've been doing. And that is the purpose of Booby Kennedy. And his entire family can be thought thought of as a grifter network with a and and they're essentially no one should feel any sympathy for these people. They're like mob bosses. Oh, he was shot by the CIA. Well look, all these government agencies take sides on which crime boss that they want to support from time to time. So taking sides on any of these criminal uh, crime families is absolutely just stupid. And, um, you know, well, let, 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 me, let, let me interject with a quick question here, because uh, I know some very smart people who agree with you on RFK Jr. being a sheepdog. And my question to them has been, OK, if that's true, how precisely uh, does this sheepdog activity hurt the movement? That is, you know, they're arguing that somebody like Bernie Sanders exists to take people who would otherwise be doing something more effective and bringing them back into the electoral system to vote for socialism. And that's going to end up being useless. There's something more useful they could have been doing. So if indeed Bobby Kennedy is, is somehow.
academic, right? I can give me my resume as a scientist, publish papers in the leading journals in the world, Nature, Cell, et cetera. But the, the other resume that we need to talk about is my resume as a fighter. I mean, you can go back to 1980s where I was leading one of the biggest demonstrations in Boston against apartheid, 5,000 people, against the fact that universities had massive investments in racist South African apartheid. The white liberals at the time, you see, there's always three groups I realize there always were. The establishment, the obvious wolves, the white liberal elites who act like they want to help the poor people and the blacks and the poor whites who say, oh, yeah, this is horrible, but let's do it our way. Don't curse. Let's do it nice. We'll sing songs like we shall overcome. We'll support some fool who's going to help you, but you have to be patient, right? That whole lingo. And then there are the real revolutionaries who come bottoms up who truly want to uh, ensure that it's not little little tweak is done to this a system, a real overhaul is done. So this middle group, the second group exists to make sure real fundamental change never takes place. That is their job. So when you go back, you know, to my own personal upbringing, and I'll give you many examples, you know, uh, I happened to work my butt off, you know, I was uh, reasonably smart. Um, and, you know, I created the first email system as a 14 year old kid in New Jersey. Email was created not by the military industrial complex, by a 14 year old dark skinned Indian American kid in Newark, New Jersey, where nothing's supposed to come out of. And the facts are black and white on that. You know, it was a huge struggle to, I never wanted the PR, the publicity or, uh, of that, but it was a very interesting uh, set of events when my stuff went in the Smithsonian and the, the racist attacks I endured, not from whites, but from Zionists professors in academia, and specifically from white liberals, who could not withstand the fact that in spite of all the accolades that I had at MIT, that I'd invented email before I came to MIT. You see, they expect that you get anointed by the liberal institutions, then you're deemed as an inventor, you see? So I won every award at MIT, was on the front page for inventing many things. But when the facts of my invention of email went into the Smithsonian, it created a huge uproar because, oh, whoa, 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 you can't have that. How can Newark, New Jersey create email? How can it come from a dark-skinned Indian kid in Newark, New Jersey? It can only be done by a white guy like Bill Gates or Zuckerberg who goes to Harvard and drops out. That's cool because you're anointed by them. So that is a very, very insidious form of the white liberal racism, that as long as you're in their club, then you're anointed. Let me give you another example. When we did that March in 2000, sorry, in 1980s, Many people don't know, but many of the leading institutions uh, had lots and lots of investments. They were making money off apartheid racism in South Africa. So obviously, uh, people who cared said, hey, universities should pull out this funding. Um, so there were three groups, right? The obvious establishment who said, no, 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 we're helping. These are among the student leaders, right? Oh, no, we're helping the blacks by putting that money in, right? The second group was wanting to sing We Shall Overcome type songs thinking, you know, they're going to emulate another a bullshitter, uh, Martin Luther King, who actually really hurt the civil rights movement when you really look at it. And we'll talk more about that. Um, and then there were people who had studied movements. The fact is, when you look at the arc of human history, it has always been everyday, ordinary people's names who you do not know, who come bottoms up, who build these movements. And, th and that's where real changes come. Now, in the 1950s, as the social scientists and the CIA and a lot of people did research. They said, shit, we can't have bottoms up people coming. So we're going to create our own heroes to hijack those movements. Right. But when I go back to that experience as a 17 year old kid at MIT, we knew that 
the white liberals who would talk about helping the blacks in South Africa, 10,000 miles away, none of them would want to walk over to Roxbury and Dorchester, which were the predominant black communities. Ooh, we may get mugged there. I lived in Dorchester while going to school at MIT. So my friends were the food service workers and custodians at MIT. Even though I was an MIT student, I never forgot where I came from. So what, what did we do differently? Richard, very different approach. And Kevin, we organized, said, yes, we, MIT must uh, remove its investments from South Africa. But we said, we must stop apartheid from Boston to Soweto, you see? So we also organize a food service. Workers. That's the kind of thing that Malcolm X was saying that got him in trouble. Yeah, well, Malcolm's one of my heroes, okay? Uh, had Malcolm knew, knew about system science and truth, freedom, and health, you know, he wouldn't have allowed Martin Luther King and the Kennedys to hijack the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King was a bougie black, okay? He had nothing in connection with everyday black people. If you were a Southern Baptist minister in the 1960s, you were a bourgeois. And everyone needs to understand that that hadn't. So Malcolm X came from below. He had to go through his journey with black nationalism. He was getting to this concepts of building workers' movements. Uh, his last speech that he gave was, I believe there will ultimately be a clash between the oppressed and those who do the oppressing. Two weeks after that, he was executed. And you have to remember when John F. Kennedy was shot, Malcolm X said the chickens have come home to roost. He didn't have sympathy for the Kennedys, but white liberals want us to have sympathy for the Kennedys. Ooh, the CIA shot him. Ooh, you know, he was fighting the military industrial complex against Vietnam bullshit. Three weeks before he was assassinated, it was a mob hit, you know, one criminal family attacking another criminal family. He made it absolutely clear in a video that Michael Tra uh, Tracy just released, very clearly saying we must stay in Vietnam, we must escalate that war, we must protect you know, the fight against communism. He's the one who allowed the war criminal Henry Kissinger into the White House. So please don't have sympathy for these guys because this is where all the brainwashing starts. But getting back to MIT, you see, we, we were the actual revolutionary trend. We recognize the failure of the white liberals. And white liberals think they're the ones who own the movements always, right? Particularly Zionist white liberals. You know, they know it all. It's fascinating to observe them. And when, you know, the friends that I had at MIT were working class kids who came from the inner cities of, you know, uh, very few of them were allowed in, you know, um, and that's who I connected with the Indians at MIT. Interesting enough, 99% were Brahmins. When I came to MIT, the Indians who were students at MIT typically imported from India, they would try to figure out my last name, Kevin. And they would say, so, so, so what, do you, what do you make of Modi's BJP, this uh, you know, Hindu uh, Sattva party, this you know, Hindu Hindu fascism, some people call it? What, what do you make of that movement? Well, here, here's the thing. You see, um, there's multiple trends there, but let, I'll come back to that. Let, let me, I, I, I want to address that. The bottom line is this. I grew up in India experiencing the fucking caste system where I was spit on. My parents were spit on. You know, friends of mine, when I went to their homes, would give me water in a different bowl because we were less. They wouldn't touch you. Okay. This is the kind of well, shit. A lot of people actually in India convert to Islam for that reason. Yes. Um, some people convert to Christianity for that reason. Too. Right. And then, and then they get persecuted if they're Muslims or Christians. Right. Right. So, so the reality though is my parents didn't. You see, they didn't take the easy way out. They fought. It's very different. They maintained their values as Hindus and they fought. Because if you really read the ancient Vedas, the concept of a Brahmin was someone who was learned, who was a Rishi who came from below. At some point, they created this Brahmanical caste system where they fossilized it. But what I'm saying is that's the conditions I came up with. The fact that my parents made it here in 1970s, one out of a trillion. How can Booby fucking Kennedy have anything to do with that? 
How can he possibly say that he understands the plight of people? And so this has to be injected into people. They have to give him visibility. They have to make the Kennedy seem like they're Camelot. They have to make fake martyrs out of them. They have to make us feel sympathy for them. This is one of the biggest psychological operations. You, you know, that's a that's a really interesting point. And, and the most important place it leads to is what are the changes that need to be made that these white liberals are stopping from happening through this process of well, giving well, us these fake heroes? Well, let's so let's look at JFK. John F. Kennedy is a one who made sure that corporate taxes went way down, okay? He's the one who made sure offshoring was possible, right? He created the tax havens for people. The fucking family's a bunch of smugglers. You just need to look at who they are. Joe Kennedy was the biggest PR person. Uh, John F. Kennedy was a reckless douchebag. He, well, he was gonna he was gonna get rid of the uh, oil depletion allowance. Well, listen, listen, let's be clear. All of these guys do something, okay? But the point is, you have to look at their history. They're not one of us. So, 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 but the question is, like, what, what are we? What kind of systemic change are but, we looking at? Yeah, the systemic change. Let's look at it. What was taking place? All right, and it's already there in history. In the late 1800s, in the early 1900s, as history shows, um, and unfortunately, people don't study this. Uh, but in the late 1800s, you're familiar, uh, you're familiar, uh, Kevin, with the great upheaval that was taking place. Massive numbers of American, as we were transitioning from the agriculture to the industrial age, there was massive workers' move movements in the United States emerging oh, yeah. organically. Okay. Yeah, the progressive Haymarket, movement in Wisconsin, that was a hotbed of that. Yeah. Right. And, and, in, and in Haymarket, Chicago, for example, American workers were hanged for fighting for the eight hour workday. In Milwaukee, Wisconsin, seven American workers were shot by the National Guard. So we have to understand, and those movements, which have been completely erased from any type of American histories children learn anymore, is that by the early 1900s, these movements were organic. They were mobilizing everywhere. There was no Bernie Sanders or Kennedy or Trump or anyone like that character running these movements. They were truly bottoms-up movements. And this put the fear of God into the elites because what happened? Well, in the 1930s and 40s when Roosevelt was there, it wasn't Roosevelt was a benevolent person. He was a scumbag. He was also an elite. A, a, literally a gun was put to his head by these growing movements. So they threw certain reforms. Okay, we'll get rid of child labor. We'll give you the 10-hour workday, right? We'll, we'll give you some infrastructure. We'll give you social security. These were important reforms, but they were gained at as a result of these massive militant bottoms-up movements, which people want to wipe out from American history. But by the 1950s, after those reforms were given at a shotgun, um, the elites realized, shit, we can never have this occurring again. Um, so you had a guy like Joseph McCarthy, right, in the 1950s, came out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the place where those seven workers were shot. And he branded all of these movements with the hammer and sickle. They must be coming, they must be all be directed out of Russia and China. And so overnight, these movements were branded as quote unquote capital C communist movements. And on the one hand, so the right wing cut the legs off ideologically these movements, and the left, the mafia, the Kennedys, people like this, took over the unions. So over the next two decades, by 1970, there was no more bottoms-up movements. During the period of 1900 to 1970, nearly 11,000 strikes took place in the United States, close to 200 million people took to the streets. So to answer your question, what did that result in? Well, something quite phenomenal is that as GDP grew, everyone's wages grew during that period. It was the biggest heyday of the American worker. 
the first, second, third, fourth income quartiles, wages grew concomitant with the GDP, right? So as a wave grew for of wealth, everyone's wages grew. But that was because we had these independent organic bottoms up movements starting right here in Lowell, you know, about 30 miles away. Women fought for those rights. Women led many of these movements. Now, after 1970, with the consolidation of the left and the right, they started creating their fake heroes. They now, to what extent was it was a conscious decision by the elites? Because that 1970 was right when the Rockefellers and their friends created the Trilateral Commission specifically yes. to push back against what they called an excess of democracy. Exactly. So, so 1970, in my view, Kevin, was the point where all of this congealed. Okay. And this was all architected by Kennedy's right hand man, Kissinger. Kissinger was the architect of all this. Kissinger understood system science. Kissinger's, uh, you know, system science really came out in the 1950s. System science is a science of systems. It is not based on, you should learn system science. Anyone, everyone in the world should learn system science because up until modern, up until the 50s, everything ideologically we have Marxism, Leninism, you know, you can look at Adam Smith's work, anarcho syndicalism, Bukharin's work, all of this is based on philosophy, right? Either German philosophy or the philosophy of the Enlightenment. It's not based on fundamental understanding of engineering system science because we didn't have those tools. Those tools only come into being around the 30s, 40s, and 50s by the work of, in the 50s, uh, by the work of Ilya uh, Prejean, right? So then we started having a fundamental way to look at systems by taking an engineering systems approach. So in my view, all of these people in the humanities and the lawyers who try to look at the world, they made a lot of mistakes. They didn't understand the fundamental physics of how the world operates. So what ends up happening is during this period in the 1970s, started by Kennedy with Kissinger, um, Kennedy's the one who allowed Kissinger really into the White House. And you see the escalation of the war in Vietnam, and things were laid out for global U.S. imperialism. It was architected under Kissinger. If anything, Kennedy was one of the biggest imperialists on the planet. Everything he did was imperialism. So what you start happening by the 70s, you see consolidation of power in many areas. In science, the Mansfield Amendment gets passed. So you have the consolidation of the NSF and the NIH controlling vast amounts of money, and science essentially... Uh, you know, prior to the 1970s, you still had the concept an academic would go to the ivory towers to research all sorts of wild shit, right? Be radical. After the 1970s, the passage of the Mansfield Amendment, you have massive consolidation of power. Academics become prostitutes, basically. They become yeah, the yeah, old. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's very well documented. Uh, yes. Prior to about 1970, uh, in all the exchanges that you're talking about, the University of Wisconsin had actually become a, a, a leading. Uh, university sort of Ivy League second tier, thanks partly to the people who either couldn't get into Ivy League, but they were so close. In some cases, there were quotas, I guess, that they had coming to Wisconsin. So we had a first class world university with good funding, especially for humanities. And then these guys, uh, the Rockefellers and their friends, figured out that if you fund these smart young people to sit around trying to hash out, you know, they're likely to pose a threat to you. So they right. stopped funding that. Right. So what they did was during the period of 1970 till today, the really smart, radical thinking, innovative thinking, people who would, would go into academia were all left out. So they created the lemmings, right? So the tenure process, the funding process, academics became salespeople. Um, and by the way, the Mansfield Amendment is quite interesting. People don't know about it. You know, you had 
a little, a small percentage of this big, vast amount of military funding, which they would just dish out, you know, prior to the mass to all sorts of people who are doing very cool stuff based on meritocracy, right? So you wouldn't have to beg for money. Um, after the Vietnam War, right? Uh, they said, you know what? We cannot have basic research, you know, unless it was purely for military use. So that little piece, which represents a lot of money, was put under these very, very political organizations like the NIH and the NSF. So, so science became very, very politicized. So that's one event that took place in the 1970s. The other event was you had the formation in the healthcare of the GPOs and the PBMs, right? You had the fact that the insurance companies, the big hospitals and big pharma consolidated to drive policy. And the policy that they created was to create middlemen called group purchasing organizations in the hospital and the PBMs who controlled, who were sort of the uh, people behind the curtain, who controlled the flow of every pharmaceutical product into you know, the pharmacies, right, outpatient, and everything inpatient into the hospitals. They initially started to try to, as a vehicle to save money, you know, group purchasing, but they expanded, they flipped the model. And so now you had the consolidation of uh, these organizations, which controlled healthcare costs. So a Department of Education gets created around that time, right? So the 1970s were a very important point, whereas a turning point to head the U.S. to in a form of what I would call state capitalism, okay? Consolidation of power wasn't no longer sort of a, the free market capitalism had gone away. And the same thing occurred in politics. You had the consolidation of the left and the right. And between 1970 till today, you know, as a recent RAND report came out, it's a very mathematical report, you know, which solves some very interesting integrals and so on. But it basically shows that between 1970 to today, that the wages of the first and second income quartile have gone down like this, you know, according to inflation. And if you take the area under that curve of all of that, it's about $47 trillion in wealth was transferred from the first and second income quartile to the upper two income quartiles, even though the GDP grew in the same fashion it did from 1900 to 1970. But what was the difference, Kevin, was between 1970 to today, there were no more mass movements. If anything, there were 900 strikes, 990 strikes, and maybe 2 million people took to the streets. So the left and right collusion has destroyed the bottoms up movement. And that was a role of Jesse Jackson. That is a role of Kennedy. That is a role of Bernie Sanders. That's a role of Rand Paul. That's a role of Donald Trump to make sure that we look to them. And that is a role of a lot of these professors who say, oh, you know, change will always come from above. <coughs> but it's absolutely in contradiction to what actually took place. Well, 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 wait, just to be fair to Peter Turchin, I think he would actually agree with most of what you're saying, but I think his view might also be that these these mass movements then get channeled into the actual legislation that sets the rules such that the uh, lower side of the income spectrum does better throughout much of the 20th century uh, due to the policies that get enacted by people from the elites like Roosevelt. Yeah but, so, he, he yeah. yeah, but he doesn't understand what the fuck he's talking about. You see, he's giving more preponderance to the bureaucrats than to the mass movements. It mm -hmm. is a mass movement. And now, you know, we have to really talk about technology. We can do direct democracy. We have some very, very interesting things we can do now, right? So, but the bottom line is that kind of thinking is a reason we're in this condition because those people want to be advisors to these people. They want to be advised. They want to still massage this concept of a top-down model. Look, Noam Chomsky was one of my, when I was in the 1980s, you know, when I first came to MIT, 
I had enough credits to leave MIT in two years, believe it or not. Okay. And I ended up staying there an extra year. But the day I landed at MIT, I was very interested in why there was this caste system. Because here I was at the number one. MIT was known for system science, actually. That's one of the biggest things MIT would always win sort of the biggest accolades in. So I wanted to understand this. I went to someone said, oh, go see this guy Chomsky. So I, um, you know, Chomsky gave me various books to read, right? But I started understanding this concept of the caste system, where it came from, that it was originally a guild system. It degenerated into the system of hierarchy. It was actually going away before British colonialism. British colonialism heightened it back up. But it was a knowledge of systems that I got very interested in. But no one would always give these long lectures, you know, very theoretical lectures. He wrote Manufacturing Consent, right? He was writing it at the time, how the establishment is doing this. He would give these very analytical lectures. But you would go to his lectures, Kevin, uh, and you would feel completely demoralized. Well, mm -hmm. I guess we're all yeah. fucked, right? Yeah. It was basically, in some ways, a psychological operation. Yeah, I, yeah you know, I've made precisely that argument. Yeah. And I ended up having a big beef with Chomsky starting like 10 years ago. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah. It, yeah so I, I remember yeah, I had yeah. to boo Chomsky off the stage. We had organized <laughs> a demonstration. He came and I said, you need to get the fuck off the stage. Okay. This was the nineties because he goes into this academic thing, puts his hand like this and he goes and da 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 and laughs, makes some jokes. Oh, and the U S did this blah, blah, blah. And then you leave, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's classic, uh, pure white, liberalism yeah think well he, he's demoralizing the very popular exactly. He pretends to support. exactly and that is his job okay yeah. otherwise you, you do not become an institute professor so talking about truth without action truth exposing truth is important action is important action devoid of analysis or theory basically leads to terrorism right truth and exposing truth without action basically makes you an academic you know, whatever, right? But you need to combine truth and theory and action. And that's what we've done with Truth From Health. So I uncovered over the last 50 years, the fact that engineering system science, ancient systems of medicine and political theory all revolve around the same set of principles, systems principles. And so what we do now is we teach our leaders, activists, those principles, which are founded in engineering system science, not in German philosophy, not in some wackadoodle religious nonsense, right? But very grounded ideas. And this leads to very, you know, tangible solutions. But the biggest solution it leads to, getting back to Booby fucking Kennedy and Tulsi Gabbard and these uh, new, quote unquote, fake heroes that they're creating, is that it is only a bottoms up movement, Kevin, that has ever done it. Now, the problem is academics, this is why, because they would have to get their hands dirty building these. So they always say, well, and they come back because this means they have to leave their ivory towers, right? And they have to go build those movements. And they don't want to do that. So this is what I saw. So you will see me out at the train station, even though I have all these accolades, putting out a flyer. And I've been doing this for the, since 1984. You will see me at the train station doing this because when you do this, you're going direct to people. And this cannot be controlled. Like social media is completely owned and operated by the elites right well, now. Well, let, let me ask you for some feedback then, because I've done some of this. Uh, I started handing out leaflets and doing teach-ins at the University of Wisconsin campus in 2004 around uh -huh. the 9-11 issue. I discovered after hearing about David Ray Griffin's research that not only was 9-11 a false flag, but it was obviously a false flag, undeniably. And it really doesn't take very much research to sort of, you know, you can prove that to anybody very easily. And, and this is such a huge issue. I thought, okay, here's an Archimedes lever that we can use to move the world. So I'm out there doing those teach-ins and leafleting and so on and so forth. 
I uh, did all kinds of that, you know, one-on-one face-to-face activism from 2004, probably right up through maybe 2006 or seven, uh, at which point I got my 15 minutes of fame, thanks to Fox News and the Wisconsin State Legislature. And I discovered that I could reach a lot more people through the internet. So I rolled back, you know, before that I'd been organizing lots of events, you know, events that hundreds of people would come to. uh, And it got harder and harder to get people to actually come to live events. And it got easier and easier for me to reach people on the internet. This was the pre-censorship era. So I found myself but not anymore. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. So, so now maybe it's time to go back out of the streets into the real world. Is, Elon Musk, you know, he is completely in alignment with the ADL. Free speech does not equal free reach. He's their fool actor that they put out to act like he's fighting free speech. I was the one who discovered in 2020 in my lawsuit where we got an injunction. The government has a backdoor portal to Twitter. All of these guys, Tucker Carlson, Glenn Greenwald, none of them wanted to expose it then. They're doing a limited CIA hangout now. They all bow down to Musk. Musk is running censorship 10.0 right now. He puts people on and puts them into digital cages. He can decide who gets reach and who doesn't. It's a very, very much more insidious form. Well, he didn't invent that. They've been shadow banning me for 10 years at least. Yeah, but now they can do it with precision, okay? And it's even worse than shadow banning. They can take all of my followers with predictive factor analysis They can say, these are all of Dr. Shiva's followers. These are their characteristics. And then use that to say, these are the potential followers of Dr. Shiva. And then inject it to those. They can send messages from Kennedy. Yeah, no wonder they took down my computer so I couldn't do the first interview that we had scheduled. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it's it's not coincidental. But the the point is this. So getting to Tulsi Gabbard, and since you brought up 9-11, here's Tulsi Gabbard. Comes out of nowhere. Okay. She was a congresswoman in Hawaii. People should really ask Hawaiians what she did for Hawaii. And you'll find out she did nothing. Okay, she's done nothing. And for example, you know, many years ago, I did a film uh, that was funded by Pierce Brosnan and his wife. I was a chief scientist about the fact that the island of Kauai has been used as a testing center of the native Hawaiians for biotech research, right? Open air biotech testing. She... She wasn't there. She didn't do anything for these people. The fires that have been taking place in Maui, she's friends with all those people. Okay. When you really analyze these fires. Wait, so do you, do you have suspicions about the origins of some of those fires? And they're my. Well, audiences. here's the thing at minimum, it's obvious that um, there's more profit, profit from the fires than not from the fires. Mm-hmm. A, when you promote the fires, you can promote the car- climate change nonsense narrative. B, if you, I mean, this is whether it's in uh, Maui, whether it's in Canada, whether it's in Australia, right? The Most of these fires are started by arsonists. There's really no strict, you know, things that they do against these arsonists. There are many, many, there's no forest management that they do. They have not purposely invested in infrastructure, just engineering systems, infrastructure, more, you know, the, the planes that can drop water, all these kinds of things. These are purposely not done because when a forest fire takes place, There's all sorts of benefits that the government gets. Like if you take Canada, for example, they were doing the carbon tax at, I think, uh, $90 per metric ton. And they've already told people we want to get it up to $170. That's a carbon tax. Well, now a forest fire takes place, you can justify it. You say, oh my God, see carbon. So so So, the shock doctrine, disaster capitalism type stuff. Exactly. Disaster capitalism, right? So exactly. So, um, but my point is, if you talk to the people of, 
Maui in Hawaii, right? She's just been, she hasn't done nothing for those people. She's done nothing for the indigenous Hawaiians there. Nothing. But what she has done is to project herself, just like Bernie tried to say he's fighting for the workers, although she, you know, with her military uniform, I'm against the military industrial academic complex. Okay, if you're against the military industrial academic complex, why would you then say 9-11 was done by the Islamists, Islamists and mm-hmm. and that and she said that recently, the recent 9-11, when you know the preponderance of data is right in front of your face, right? That 9-11 was clearly a setup, which was engineered so the United States could set up the biggest imperial you know, base in the Middle East. This was planned 20 years ago to have a massive base in Baghdad. So here's a woman claiming that she's against the military industrial comp- complex, yet, you know, uh, promotes the 9-11 nonsense and says that's when she got excited to go fight for her country. Okay. Mm-hmm. When it was a pretext for creating the biggest, you know, a military industrial complex's biggest center in all of the Mid- Middle East. So what, what do you make of Bobby, uh, Bobby freaking Kennedy uh, talking about 9-11 with, uh, what's his name, uh, Peter, uh, the, uh, the guy who wrote all those Al-Qaeda uh, CIA propaganda books, uh, and uh, Kennedy saying that he thinks very strange things happened on 9-11, and he quickly brought up Building 7. So that was that going a little bit off script, or what, what's the point? No, no, Ken- Kennedy basically watches what I do watches where the masses are, and he just goes there to be acting anti-establishment. And this is what Bernie Sanders used to do. You have to, and this is what, Kevin, people need to get. never did that about 9-11. Yeah, they each have their stick based on which way people are thinking at the time, okay? Everyone has their stick, okay? So go back to Jesse Jackson in 1984. This is when I figured this out. Jesse would come into Newark, put on his big, thick, black accent, completely change his accent, act like he's one of the working-class people. Right. If you remember 1984, there was Reagan was running against Mondale. And so people were very upset. You know, working people again were breaking from the establishment. So they created this guy, Jesse Jackson, and he talks about the rainbow movement, how he's anti establishment. And you can go, it's it's like scripted, which say all the things, taking a little bit from Malcolm X from time to time, right? Whatever he needed to take. Because, you know, they put their hand up in the air and they have enough, I mean, they don't, they can do it much better now. They can say, okay, say this, say that. It's just messaging, Kevin. Yeah, they yeah. just say whatever they need you know, to William say. William Pepper has, uh, he, he came on my radio show and said that he thinks Jesse Jackson was actually involved in the Martin Luther King assassination. Yeah, a lot of people, yeah, yeah. He was the informant. Yeah, so I think Martin Luther King himself was an informant, okay? But the, the <laughs> Probably, point, yeah, yeah. But the point is that, that J- Jesse Jackson was created and promoted, was given all of this because black people and white people wanted a break from both wings of the establishment. He's, so they know that people want to break. The dark matter wants to break. So they have to inject, and this is what came out of the 1950s. This is the technique. We will create these fake idols, give them access to the media, act like we're attacking them, right? But their job is to corral all these people to give them hope obama's message was hope okay and bring them in give them enough anger and at the last minute juice them right into the wing of the establishment okay and that's what jesse jackson did everyone should go listen to a speech at the dnc he gives this speech of lesser of two evils and something about raisins and you know and gives all his votes and no one thought that was going to happen and uh 
myself and my friends were one of those idealists. I remember watching this on TV in the MIT Student Center. And we said, what the fuck? Right. And that's when, as an 18 year old, I figured out some, like what these guys were really doing. And I never voted for any of these guys. We, well, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with you about Jesse Jackson for sure. Obviously, Obama, um, Tulsi, Bernie even, Sanders. Good point. Bernie, Bernie Sanders, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, well, uh, no. and and Bobby, you could be right, but we haven't. I, I'm no, not no, 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 no. Come on, come on, come on, come on. We can't say you could be. He's a <laughs> fucking tool, and this is why we get into these situations. Let me give you an example, Kevin. And we cannot be saying maybe. This is where. You know, people need to choose their leaders wisely. Let's talk about Bernie. I'll give you an example. A very nice white liberal friend of mine, a very smart MD, PhD neuroscientist out of Harvard, right? She and I were interested in certain research areas together in the neuroscience field. She comes, calls me up. She goes, Shiva, this is in 2014, 15. You must, uh, you're anti-establishing, you're an activist. You know, I'm going to be the uh, New England leader for Bernie Sanders. I, you got to support Bernie. I said, Lori, he's going to do the exact same thing that Jesse Jackson did in 1984. And she goes, what? Gave her the story. Because it's the system's dynamic. Mm -hmm. She goes, no, just like you, you, Kevin, I don't know about that. I don't know Bernie's like that. I go, no, you have to understand the system's dynamic here. He is there. He is promoted. He is created to sucker you back. And I guarantee you, this was in 2015. I said, mark my words, on the floor of the Democratic Convention, he's going to hug Hillary Clinton. She goes, no way. He's promised us he will not do that. You're an asshole. You always criticize everyone. And she leaves my house pissed off. Never saw, heard from her. Good friend, two years later. But she said those same words you did, Kevin, that, well, we don't know. Let's give Bernie a chance. Shiva, you're being too critical. It's not about Bernie. It's a systems dynamic. He is promoted. He is created for that purpose. And this is very consciously done. And for my background and the people I represent, I'm not going to fuck around and say, well, let's wait for Booby. But He's you see, see I, I would say, though, there are, are clear, you know, there are no, no, differences, but let me there are no, lots no, no. of differences in detail between all of these different people. No, they're no, all no, different no. situations. It, it's yes. Yeah, so, okay. One's a tabby but, cat. One has a calico cat. It's still a fucking cat. Okay. The problem is, what did Sanders do? He did precisely that. He did precisely that. He took all these young people who thought he was anti-establishment, corralled them in, and he gave them to Hillary. Did he not? And he hugged her on the stage. Yeah. Exactly as I said. Right. And, and that, so, so did that hurt the uh, movement, uh, the bottom-up movement, by taking people who should have been out, making sure that Occupy couldn't get permanently squashed by the police. They should have actually pushed Occupy. Nature Occupy didn't get squashed by the police. It fought back and didn't, you know, and didn't. Well, first end. of all, Occupy, that been better? Occupy itself was a top-down movement. None of these are bottoms-up movements led by people bottoms-up, okay? They're engineered top-down. And this is what people need to understand. They're all these left-wing groups, right-wing groups. They're tentacles back to the establishment parties. This is very important to understand. Acorn right? Which has existed for many years, right? Obama was part of it. All of these groups are ultimately, their feeders, tentacles back to one wing of the establishment. Now the establishment has become so consolidated. Now they have to create the not so obvious establishment. And that's where Booby fucking Kennedy comes in. And that's where Tulsi Gabbard comes in. And it's not a lot of people. They have an array of these people, Kevin. It's like a farm league. It's a CIA intelligence operation. So, so let's say we're going to try to go back to the real populist movement.
movements from before this takeover started in, let's say, 1950, and it yeah. was completed by 1970. Now we're getting so, to the question. Yeah. So, so, so how do we do that? Because any movement that we have, it's always going to have, you know, some people are going to be more movers and shakers than others. Some are going to be more charismatic than others. It's going to be a natural tendency for certain faces to rise out from the crowd, like yours, for example, during the COVID freedom movement. And then these forces are going to come in and start manipulating the movements. So even if they don't create the movements, they're going to come in and take them over. Well, they? So what can we do? All, first of all, because there are market inefficiencies, my coming into being should never have occurred. I came in during this very interesting time in 2020 where I came in as a scientist. We exposed a lot of stuff. And then we realized what Booby Kennedy was. I was the first one to expose Kennedy. The fact he endorsed Hillary Clinton, not once, not twice, three times. The fact... When before you went into his home, you had to be vaccinated with the mRNA vaccine. Fact. In when I was running in 2020. That was his wife. <laughs> fuck him. You know how many people divorced over this issue on medical freedom in their own families? And if you're even going to justify that, it's disgusting, Kevin. I have no, so see, I'm, I'm just looking for truth. I'm just trying to express there, the here's the truth. Here's the truth. truth. You are the leader of the medical freedom movement. I mm -hmm. am the leader of the medical freedom movement. Then my wife is going to tell me that everyone's got to get vaccinated in my house. That relationship is mm -hmm. over because you know why? Fundamentally, the bourgeois like him and the white liberals have this philosophy. Your personal integrity and your public integrity are two different things. And he said that. Yeah, I and that's true. And he, and he supports his nephew who is pro-vax and that sort of thing. Not only he came to Massachusetts, took his nephew to Hollywood, and it, I was running here, endorsed him. Pro-vax, pro-vaccine mandate. In March of 2020, he promoted lockdowns. So the problem is white liberalism glosses over all of this. And it's actually a form of white liberals are the biggest fucking racists. Because the fact <laughs> this is done to them, they still promote this person. And the fact that they compromise that person, make compromises for that person, is racism. It's racism because it's racism against poor whites, it's racism against poor blacks, and it's elevating a scumbag. That would not occur to me. I have to fight for everything you I know, have. If I, if I were going to argue that white liberals are racist, I would actually argue that they have harmed the black community far more than the conservatives have, primarily by pushing through the welfare laws of the early 60s that led to the breakdown of the African-American family. The fact that today, two thirds of black kids grow up without a you know, married, without married parents, without a present father, is probably the single biggest factor pushing the pathologies of the black community, which have made that community such a difficult place for people to be. So the li white liberals actually created that problem more than anybody else. It's not the conservatives who police the ghetto who are the problem. Uh, if anything, the, the people in black neighborhoods actually want better policing. So would you agree that that's one area where uh, where the well, liberals are the worst races? But the, yeah, I agree with that. And furthermore, the value system that they propose is they want to push their values. You know, Bobby Kennedy bangs 28 women. His wife hangs himself. And then uh, they have no sense of culture. They have no sense of uh, values, nothing. And so they want to promote that to everyone else. Well, he so, wants to present himself as a sort of recovered nihilist. He's a scumbag. As early as 2022, everyone had to be vaccinated. You have to look at this in its entirety as a system. So look at what he's fundamentally promoting. Let's take vaccines. What is he promoting? He says, I believe in full vaccination of all Americans. I vaccinated all my kids. First preamble. And then second part, and the corrupt CDC, they're so corrupt. They put da-da-da-da, right? I'm the fighter against corruption. And I'm going to get them to create safe 
vaccines. Whenever a liberal or someone in politics talks about safety, that is a harbinger of fascism in every topic. Safety in the banking industry destroyed all the small banks. Okay. So if you if you look at his the entire Kennedy's, it was John Kennedy who created the 1962 Vaccination Act, which created all these government institutions, which allowed government to have the right to jab something into your body. Should never have occurred. And that was based on a 1915 nonsensical understanding of the immune system. 24 years, people are getting vaccine injured, right? And people are suing in federal and state courts. Then the other Kennedy, Ted Kennedy, the youngest brother who murdered a woman here in Massachusetts. All right. Mary Joe Kopechny, right? Yeah, Mary Joe Kopechny, and who he left drowning, as many much of the data shows, went well, to he, his father. He, he was he was drunk. Yeah, but the one the thing is, he she was many people argue she probably was alive. And then for 22 hours he's missing. The father and him get the story straight. And and this guy was a co-sponsor of the Senate side of the bill. All right. For the National Vaccine Injury Program, a euphemism for indemnifying pharma companies. Much worse than that. It created more government infrastructure under health and human services, where you cannot now sue a pharma company. In courts, you have to bring them under the vaccine courts. That was brought by Kennedy number two. You see, more government, more government. They didn't peel the Band-Aid off and get rid of the 1962 Vaccination Act. Then this other fool, Kennedy, comes in, complete bullshitter. Anything out of his mouth is multiple tongues, like a serpent. So what does he do? He says, by the way, he didn't know anything about vaccines. His backroom guy is a guy called Mark Blacksell, who's a consultant for Big Pharma. Jake Crosby exposed all of this, okay? We used to work at Children's Health Defense Fund. And I can show you the emails between Bobby and Jake Crosby, and you'll realize that he is setting himself up as the not-so-obvious establishment. He knows exactly what he's doing, Kevin. Well, he says he wants to bring the country back together, and that would mean sort of bringing the establishment and the people back together, too, which might not be in the people's interest. Yeah, whenever the elites say, let us heal the divide. What they mean is, let's shove under the rug all of our contradictions, and I'm going to bring all the elites together in one united front against the masses. That's what he really means. Mm-hmm. It's not, well, Dr. Dr. Shiva, I have a question. Have you read uh, Ed Haslam's book on Dr. Mary's monkey? Uh, that's It touches on the scandal around the uh, polio vaccines that were contaminated with monkey viruses that led to a cancer epidemic, a really interesting story. So it's it's shockingly plausible for what sounds like a really outrageous conspiracy theory. This research on that was being done in New Orleans and some of the same people who were involved in the JFK assassination were actually involved in this secret research on how are we going to deal with the fact that we injected so many Americans with these cancer-causing monkey viruses in the 1950s. That's a little-known uh, vaccination-related scandal. I would highly recommend that you check that out. Yeah, I I looked at the pricey of that book many, many years ago, I think back in like 2018, something like that. But the interesting thing here is this, we can go on the vaccine topic. The fundamental issue is it's a virus is not what kills you. Okay, let me repeat that again. A virus doesn't kill you. It is the overreaction of the body's immune system to the tissues where the virus goes and hangs out. Every virus has a particular home it likes to go to. All right. And we were teaching. So it's not a vax versus anti-vax argument. Now you're creating a dialectic. That's the real divide. The real issue is uh, in health is resilience. The body is meant to be stress inoculated at various levels and you get strong. 
right? And this is the MIT scientist speaking to whose PhD is in this field and is considered one of the renowned people on the immune system. This is why the National Science Foundation had me give their prestige lecture, lecture in 2019. And so the key thing we need to understand, when you get a virus, you have about 380 viruses, antigens in your body right now, okay? About 60 trillion bacteria, 6 trillion cells. You're a walking jungle. And the reality is that when you when a virus comes into you, an exogenous agent, your body typically has a various set of responses. It does an initial response, you know, followed up response. In a normal course of things, there's an orchestra that's beautifully played and your body goes back on its merry way. Yeah. But if your immune system is compromised, your body overreacts. It's like it doesn't have shock absorbers and it overreacts and it starts attacking your own body. In the case of the Ebola virus, it goes to the endothelial cells. So your body, you start bleeding, right? It's not the virus is eating away at your heart. Your body is overreacting, okay? The epithelial cells is where the coronavirus goes. Quick, quick question. Is, is it always just overreacting or is there some level where some viruses in some situations become so uh, successful, they thrive so much, they unbalance your body's ecosystem and they're actually doing some damage themselves. It is, in other words, the virus can do damage outside from the immune well, system. Well, but, okay. He, the reality is your body has many multiple subsystems, okay? When you get infected by a virus, your body upregulates about a thousand different genes, all right? Your body was designed, you know, when the HIV stuff came, I said, stuff is nonsense. How could a virus destroy your immune system? It's bullshit. And all of Gallo's work was known to be bullshit. He conflated HIV, you know, saying this virus is eating you up, right? It was all fraudulent data. Go look at the New York Times. He was going to be exposed. And Fauci... And well, well, that's actually uh, the majority of uh, RFK Jr.'s book on Fauci is about that. Which is all stolen from my stuff. He waited until 2021 to do that book. Go look at his tweet feed. Nothing on Fauci in 2020. Zero. Do you understand, Kevin, that he's engineered by the establishment to be the anti-establishment scumbag? And he, yes, yes. Well, you've said that. I was just pointing out that it was interesting. And it's also interesting that the media, which attacked that book, did not say a word about the fact that the majority of the book is actually about this HIV controversy. Yeah, but is, it, isn't that odd? Ron Unsworth pieces about this. Why no, would saying, the media not attack him over but, this supposed crazy conspiracy theory about AIDS? And the reason well, for that is probably that that crazy conspiracy theory is true. Right. But the thing is, Robert Duisberg is the one who should get all that credit. And he wrote all yeah. of that in 1993. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So I remember back then, back then, we did this. Kennedy didn't even write the book. It was it was yeah. ghostwritten. He didn't even write the book. Um, you know, he was banging too many women. Okay. He he does not do any of this stuff. He's made up. He's an actor. He's fiction. And he's created by the swarm to sucker people back in. And people need to get it. And uh, frankly, I you know, we predicted this with Bernie, we predicted this with Jesse Jackson, and same with Trump. Anyone who gets mainstream media attention. And it's promoted by the mainstream, positive or negative, is part of the stage to sucker okay. people into the so, so, quick question. I, I spent. That's actually, why. That's why Tulsi Gabbard is so much on Fox News yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So Are you on? Well, I, Kevin, you're, you're I, not I on. Was. Fox. I, I was on Fox no, no, News. But, you're, but they don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. I, I, I had six. Time. I had six months worth of fifteen minutes of fame. Uh, right. But for, what for some reason, is, they stopped. What? Well, it's not for some reason. It is because you are no longer valuable to them. Yeah, if course. you are willing to play their game and say enough things against the right or the left, you're an entertainer. 
They do not want you building a movement. We are building a movement. And that, that movement is based on a very simple graph. If you look at that graph, Kevin, the red line there, okay? Mm -hmm. I can bring it up for you. Let yeah, yeah, I, I could see it. I can um, see the bottom one going off the cliff. Yeah, if, you give, if you give me hosting rights, um, uh, let me, boy, how do I do that? Uh, you just click on me and you say, uh, make co-host or something. Okay, go to participants. Yeah. And I go to Dr. Shiva and yeah. I go to more and I make him a host. Uh, yeah. yeah, there we go. You're, you're now so, a host. So, but I want to, before, I want to show you this, but they do not want people building a bottoms up movement. And that's like, it's like a commandment. So anything from people building a bottoms up movement, Kevin, is valuable to them. Any distraction. Mm -hmm. So they'll try to use the obvious stuff. Oh, vote in our elections are so fair, right? Vote for Biden or Trump. So that's one group of people they sucker in that way. The purely lazy people. And the second set of people think the Messiah is going to come. They sucker in by creating these anti-establishment fake heroes. Kennedy's, Kennedy and Tulsi Gabbard. And another, it would have been Trump. And another would have been Obama and so on. And these people overnight are engineered as the anti-establishment candidate. And then they intentionally conceal people like me. But the problem that they're having right now, Kevin, is in 2020, about a half a billion people know about our movement globally. So when I got thrown off Twitter for exposing that backdoor censorship portal into Twitter that came out of our lawsuit where we won our federal injunction, when they decided to put me on, they thought I would come down and bow down to Musk. I was a conservative. And every conservative who was put, put back on in late 2022 bows down to Musk, forgetting that where government ends and Elon Musk begins, nobody knows. All of his companies are at the behest of government. And what's now happened with Twitter, the earlier Twitter was open fascism. Now it's a sophisticated form of fascism. You put people on, but you put them in these digital cages. And that's what's going on right now. So when you put the pieces together of this, they recognize that our movement exists, that we go on the ground. And we have been hammering not only Kennedy, but Trump, fucker Carlson, right? Because they're trying to make him a martyr. When he's, you know, he came out of, I mean, go look at his whole background. He's CIA, right? Um, or Alex Jones. These guys are entertainers. So they've created a motley of people to keep people's attention as though these people are going to do anything. But none of them want to build a movement because a movement will be the end of their entertainment. And we're the only force that's doing that. So, so what, what, what mechanisms does the movement use to get things done? In other words, uh, you know, there's, there's three, three, three items. OK. And look, I've studied all sorts of movement my entire life, left wing, right wing, everything you can imagine. OK. And first of all, we have, a, we have to have a very clear vision. What is it you want? Truth, freedom, health. And those, those three things aren't words for us. Those are interconnected concepts because without freedom, you can't get to truth, science, right? You have to have lots of ideas. And without science, you can't figure out what's right for your health. And without health, no one has a wherewithal to fight for truth or freedom. And by the way, those three concepts go back to general systems theory, transport conversion storage. And I'm not gonna get into that, but these are not just words. The concepts of the movement of information, matter, and energy, freedom, the conversion of information, matter, and energy, truth, the scientific method, and the infrastructure, which holds all this together, the structural concept, which is health. So we have a very clear vision. Um, if you look at the works of Marx or Lenin or Thomas Paine or Adam Smith, or go back to all these revolutionary writers, again, all of their works were based on philosophy, not on fundamental engineering. So that's what I've uncovered. So that's one, a, a clear goal. 
The next is but we, does the human being want to be engineered? You know, Dostoevsky had a few. It's, not about, to say it, it's about not about it being engineered. It's following nature's laws. It's being in resonance with nature's laws. Okay. So um, the problem is most of the people who've been revolutionaries have no. They're not engineers. They've never built anything. They never. They're not plumbers. They're not electricians. They don't have to abide by nature's laws. They can make up something in their mind. Oh, I believe in anarcho-syndicalism. Ooh, I think we should have a vanguard party top down. You see? Leninism. What is the fundamental nature of how humans are and what do we resonate with? This comes back to a very deeply spiritual issue. You're not imposing something. You're living in in, in um, resonance with nature. Mm-hmm. So as a part of that, the science of systems is we teach people. I used to teach it at MIT. People used to pay a lot of money. But it's not only the science we teach. By the way, George Soros, by the way, is a, is one of the leaders on reflexivity theory, which come, which is a foundation in system science. So a lot of people don't know this, but you know the 10, 20,000 people really are advisors. They all go through the Kennedy School. They go to MIT. They learn this very foundational knowledge of systems dynamics. So we have figured out a way to teach anyone that. Not only teach them, but they learn it, they teach it, and then they serve at the local level. The third piece of this is the engineering piece, which is you have the science, you have the vision, but you got to, and what is that? That's getting on the ground, okay? People, nothing is going to change unless we have communications with our people, neighbors, having uh, discourse. And a lot of this used to occur in the 20s. People had a lot of these salons, they used to have very deep discussions. And that is what we're doing. Because right now, I do a tweet, which used to get 30,000 retweets, it gets five or 10. When I was put back on Twitter, I, the first tweet I did, I said, Elon, why don't you make me your CEO? That got like nearly 20 to 30 million views. And then the next day I said, are you going to remove the backdoor portal that I discovered? Clayton Morris of Redacted got Musk in an interview. And he said, Dr. Shiva's lawsuit exposed that there's a backdoor portal. Are you going to remove it? He said, oh, I'll think about it. Let me get back to you. Never got back to them. He's a government front man. So as I started hammer, I have a graph on this. You it's can probably a national security matter, I would imagine. It's not a national security matter. It is on November 16, 2018. The government of the the Congress unanimously passed a law called CISA, which was signed into law by Trump. Had Hillary Clinton been in place to do that, there would have been a revolution. They needed Trump to do that. First Amendment says Congress shall pass no law that will abridge the freedom of speech. That's what happened on November 16th, 2018. We don't have freedom of speech on social media. It's gone. The government, and that's what they did to me in my 2020 election. I exposed the fact that government was deleting ballot images. The government used this portal. It's all documented in testimony to contact Twitter. That's what occurred on September 20th, September 25th, 2020. We exposed that. And then I was thrown off Twitter permanently for exposing that. But you, you, you were actually kind of ahead of the curve on the Twitter files issue. Twitter files is a limited hangout. It's bullshit. Mm-hmm. The people that are exposing that are part of all this nonsense. And including The Intercept, including Tucker Carlson, including Elon Musk. That's what I'm trying to tell you, Kevin. The elites have gotten very sophisticated. When an independent, let's say you and I are independent. Okay. Let's say you independently exposed 9-11. You had all the, but you're not connected with the left or the right, which I assume you're not. Okay. You did it on your own. They will not give you any limelight, okay? And they'll conceal it for two reasons. One, it's a truth, but two, it's not controlled by them. A few, three, four, ten years later, after people come to learn about it, when it doesn't matter anymore, right? When the event is taking place, 
they want to conceal it. But when it's later, it's in vogue to talk about it. You can make movies and you can write a book about Fauci, right? Then it becomes popular to talk about it. You can make money on it. And then fucker Carlson will do something on Twitter files, okay? He will bring in Elon. But this is after the house is burned down. And they'll make he, movies. He finally, he finally mentioned 9-11. Uh, he, he finally mentioned Building 7, I think, just, what, six months ago or something. It's too late. Too little, too late. Yeah, then yeah he's, talking Obama, sure. he's talking about Obama being gay now, right? That's yeah, all yeah, entertainment. Yeah. Tucker Carlson, you know, he's from... Yeah, we, we were talking about that stuff when it was happening. You know, that when Sinclair started talking about it, I was on the radio with it, like, you know, 10 minutes later, pretty much. That's what I'm trying to say. Delayed truth is deadly. That is what they give entertainers, to talk about stuff after... The shit has occurred when it's irrelevant anymore. Three years later, all these doctors say, oh, yeah, we're going to send a petition to Trump to stop. Well, you didn't do it in 2020. You made money being silent. And now you're trying to be fake martyrs after the fact. So they have it down to conceal the actual purveyors of truth, do a limited version of that, which is what Twitter files was, and then tell the whole truth and make a movie and profit from it after everything's done. And that, what, what do you think they're at? The people who are part of this, uh, what is their attitude towards it? Uh, do they feel superior to other people? Do they feel ashamed of what they're doing? I mean, I have a hard time putting myself in their place. I, I couldn't live with myself. I don't, Kevin, this is what I realized after being, you know, I was in Hollywood for a couple of years in a relation with someone. What I realized was if you are a good human being and you try to even understand their thinking, the sociopath's thinking, you will never figure it out. It is like, can you get into the mind of the scorpion? You know, the story of the scorpion and the frog, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You think you can figure that, you think you can help them. You think they're not that bad. And I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is the wisdom that I've gained is these people are, are not reformable. You cannot ever understand them. They are pure evil. The way they think is all about them. They will even talk like they're anti-establishment if they can get their name in lights, but they have no interest in helping people bottoms up at all. And you may not be able to comprehend it, right? I reached the point in my own journey where I realized I don't have to comprehend it. I will never comprehend it. I can never empathize with that condition. And this is the reality that people have to come to. We should not be caring who the fuck killed John F. Kennedy. Doesn't matter. He comes from a family of mobsters. Why are we, the masses, trying to figure out how one king executed another king? Whether he used poison, whether he used darts, whether he used a knife, it's irrelevant. And so they want us to pay homage to them, homage to their plight. So we ignore the plight of everyday people and we build up the bottoms up movement. So if you look at this graph that I want to share with you, if people go to shivaforpresident.com, you know, we have our, you know, nice picture there, a nice simple website. We've always been running independent. And this is why Kennedy and Tulsi Gabbard must now run independent because the steam and the explosive growth of our movement. So we have a simple, very powerful flyer. You see that? Yep, sure do. It's got our brand. Of two evils is killing your children. Right. So we, because we don't have a lot. I mean, when I go to the train station, I don't have a lot of time, right? And we have a very simple graph there. It says since the 1980s, the policies of the swarm have destroyed Americans' life expectancy. Now, this is not for me. It's from Kaiser Permanente, okay? 
So this, this is not something COVID. This has been going on a long time, okay? And this is the rest of the world, which is also, if you look, the, you know, the curvature is going to go like this, okay? Also for the world. And this is by design. And this is what happens when we vote for the lesser of two evils. And my solution is we need a systems overall, which demands a bottoms-up movement. Then we have our link to our video. So people are on the train. They can watch the video. They understand who this enemy is. Kennedys are in there. The Trumps are in there. The Tulsi Gabbards are in there. All of them. The obvious and not so obvious. And then here's the solution. We talk about our campaign. We talk about where I came from. We talk about the fact that we put together a curriculum and a mobilization effort so you can understand how they think and and how they manipulate. And wait, then we wait, question about that graph, the uh, collapse of life, life expectancy. What, what's the biggest factor or a couple of factors driving that? Yeah. So if you look at this curve, it's a good question, Kevin. So let's go back. Let me talk about that. So if you're not trained from a systems approach, people think, oh, it's this one thing. It's the toxins in the atmosphere. Oh, no, no, no. It's Obamacare. Oh, no, no, no. It's the vaccines. The reality is when you take a systems perspective, you, you understand it's not any one thing. It's the it's called the, uh, the superposition principle. It's not anyone. It's the aggregation of a number of things, okay, that contribute to that. But I can tell you what they've done from a systems biology standpoint as a biological engineer. All of those things that have occurred have ultimately destroyed the immune system of the body. Because what you've done is you've created stress, emotional stress, income inequality, right? Uh, relationship stress. The reason people live long, number one reason, is community. And I did videos in, the, in you know, in 2020 on yeah, this. No, I've, I've seen that evidence, yeah. Right. So, and after we did those idiot videos, then the Brahmin fool Vivek Murthy, who's now promotes, you know, oh yeah, loneliness, right? We shouldn't do, but yet they'll promote lockdowns, okay? Mm -hmm. But it was lockdowns that it, Kennedy, booby fucking Kennedy promoted lockdowns. We have the tweet. He said, yeah, did he, he, didn't he back off that pretty quick? Why are you, excuse him, Kevin? Let well, me ask. I'm just, no, I'm just, I'm just asking for the truth. No, no, if he no, didn't, he's just saying he didn't. You know, no, I'm no, but, no but, but I have to ask you this. Hmm. But why do you, why do you excuse him? Even give him any excuse? Because compare, he's supposed to be a leader of the medical freedom movement. Hmm. What was I doing then? Contrast two leaders. One guy in March of 2020 is not only calling out the lockdowns, but is doing massive demonstrations. Is writing to Trump. Is promoting solutions. He's sitting back flying his fucking Falcons and promoting lockdowns. Now, I want to really understand that attitude, and don't take this personally, why we would even play devil's advocate with him. It should be cut and dry. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, let, let's just say, okay, I, I can ask you another question, which, okay, from my perspective. No, 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 um, but why, why excuse him? Because no one excused, if, if I didn't. Okay. But, but see, I, I don't think you were doing exactly the right thing either. I mean, I, I think I think what I was well, doing was was the right thing. What I was doing was in January of 2020, I had Jeff Brown on. Uh, actually, this show was broadcast in maybe early February, pointing out that this looked like a U.S. biological attack on China. Now, we may have gotten a few things wrong about the severity of the biological attack, but I, I think the way to understand what happened with COVID is as the not not even the opening shot in bio world war three you know the americans took out china's uh, chicken supply in 2018 took out china's pork supply in 2019 was waging an all-out trade war on china and then the middle of china's transit system right on chinese new year gets hit with this bioweapon 
Uh, so the lockdowns and that the mRNA vax is a military technology designed so that they can protect who they want to protect. Uh, and so what we're looking at is a geopolitical. Well, it's a know. war, and the reason that they're cracking down on freedom is in every war you jail people, you shut them up. You know, Eugene Debs had to run for president from prison during World War One. Uh, people, the whole uh, Lindbergh side of the political spectrum, which was the majority, got squashed uh, during World War Two, and now we're seeing a crackdown on freedom because we're in the middle of World War Three against Russia and China, and COVID was a bio U.S. biological attack on China. Whether yeah. it was designed to, for blowback or not, I don't know. So but that's what I think is the most important thing. You don't you don't talk about that, and Kennedy doesn't talk about that. No, so. I don't know. No, that's not absolutely true. What, where, where were you in 2019? We were out massive demonstrations against the vax mandates. When it hit on January 6th, go look at my tweet, what I did, okay? And go look at everyone else's. We said this is being done to destroy freedom, to destroy economies, et cetera. And that, that tweet went viral. No one else did that tweet, okay? So what you're missing here is we were out mobilizing people bottoms up. Because whether the U.S. and China or China and U.S. did this, it's irrelevant to working people. Ultimately, working people are getting screwed. You're still focused on this thing of the geopolitical level. But at the end of the day, the Chinese working class and the American working class both get screwed. And ultimately, what we need to recognize is that there's a bunch of very, very wealthy people. And even Putin is part of the thuggery, okay? You can criticize uh, what's going on in Ukraine, right? Which I have done. But ultimately, when you take the meta level view, this is a global game that's being played against a global working class everywhere, the international working class. And no one wants to discuss that. We want to talk, it's easy to say, yeah, Putin is getting screwed here. The I mean, you can do that analysis, but we need to go one level deeper. Ultimately, if you look prior to 2020, uh, when the so-called pandemic hit, right? What was going on? There were close to, probably about 100, 200 million people protesting all over the world against corruption, against wage cuts. Uh, you know, you have the, the the French, you know, Yellow West movement. You can go look at everywhere. It's almost was ditto. 2018 to 2019 were massive protests, almost as similar to 1918 uh, to 1919, right? Right before the Spanish flu epidemic hit. It's quite an extraordinary event. Yeah. You had people rising up, working people, and then suddenly this quote unquote, you know, I think the thing that you might concur on, whenever people rise up bottoms up, the elites create a distraction. Yeah, right. remember right before 9-11, we had the anti-globalization movement peaking in Seattle. Exactly. And there were bills in Congress which weren't moving to violate privacy. So all those bills were just stuck. Okay. Yeah. Heroin sales were way down. The bottom, the way I look at the world is it is us versus them. Us meaning the broad mass of the 8 billion working people against a very small set of people. So whenever people get any time of consciousness coming up, they have to distract. So there's a very nice video I did in right at 2019, looking at 2018 and 2019. Protests after protests after protests, if you add it up, was close to 200 million people. And so they created this event. And you can say whether it came out of Fort Dix, whether you know, it came from China here. I mean, there's all this stuff. At the end of the day, all of this was done. So you suppress overnight, all those movements disappear, right? The Hong Kong movement disappears. The Yellow Vest movement, everything just disappears. But then overnight. you get this COVID-based freedom movement. Well, it was a controlled movement. That's why I bring Kennedy. Kennedy, in the heat, March of 2020 is a litmus test. What did you do in March of 2020? Because that's when you had enough time to see what was happening. Mm -hmm. 
What did you do? He promotes lockdowns. He says, this will stop the spread of COVID and we're going to protect the environment and the climate. That's what he did. So that's well, a, what, a bunch of smart people were pro lockdown and Ron Unz was pro lockdown at that point too. I mean, it's at that oh. time, a lot, you know, pe people had gotten information making it look like COVID. Oh, no, but, but they, they, should, then they should step out of the way. They're not, you're not leaders. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. You know, this fool, uh, Bhattacharya, he wrote a paper promoting lockdowns. Mm -hmm. All right. We were the movement on the ground, exposing this, hitting hard consistently. It was our movement in New Jersey. We led about 5,000 people that we stopped the vaccine ma mandates while Kennedy was saying, oh, we should negotiate with the Democrats. So, so hey, you know, I, I, I think the you know, history shows that you were very much on the right track here. However, let me, let me just pose a theoretical question. OK, do you dispute the fact that there are biological agents that have been developed by biological warfare research facilities that, if unleashed, can do uh, tremendous havoc in other words it your your theory of health Kevin, may, Kevin, may work with covid but is it going to work with some of these other agents that are a Kevin, lot more deadlier than COVID? you're talking to a biological engineer right 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 so that's okay. yeah so, so you should have you an know, answer matthew miss uh what's his name misselson is that his name mm -hmm. from harvard you know so in the 1980s people had figured out when after the genome was you know 1956 that there was going to be bioweapons Bioweapons have been around for since yeah. the times before Christ. And right. People, so, so, so doesn't that mean biowarfare right. has been a arsenal? And that's why my thesis is it's about distracting people from building a bottoms up movement. So it's my view. And I am finishing up some work on this. Even the Spanish flu. There's some very good evidence that was also biowarfare. That it was created, say, yeah. And but it was created at a time when people are building these bottoms up movements. So in my view, whenever people mobilize organically bottoms up, that's what scares the elites. They may use divide and rule to divide people. They may put a pandemic, like you said, a global, like a capitalist crisis. They have Start a bunch a of, they may, they may do a bioweapon. I'm saying they have a range, an infinite set of arsenals that they can do. Bioweapons, 9-11, let's blow up a building. Let's drop a nuclear bomb. We don't know, they got a whole bunch of things. Everything they do, though, is to make sure we don't mobilize a bottoms up movement. And that's essentially what I want to talk about. So when, you know, so what we tell people to do is go to Shiva for president, download this flyer. The most noble thing you can do is download this, keep them, print them out on black and white and hand them to your friends. Now, why is this important? Because it's forcing people to make a connection with another human being, which we're taught not to do. Social media is very easy not to literally have a visceral connection. So that's one thing. And we'll get about 50 million of these out. The other thing we get people to do is take one of these bumper stickers, put them on the back of your car. Why? About 100,000 views are seen. You get more views from this than you would from, you know, a little tweet that you do on social media. And then the third thing we tell people is none of this is going to be clear unless you take a little bit of time and you understand we've created a curriculum on this. So people understand it. we've created a community, right? We have a global community now about half a million people in 120 countries. And we all support each other in understanding this dynamic. Why it, it's you must eviscerate a Kennedy and a Tulsi Gabbard. Why you must expose the real evil of a guy like Bernie Sanders. It's Trump and the Clintons and all those things. That's pretty easy. These people are the wolves in sheep's clothing. And once pe more and more people understand this, that's when we end human suffering quicker. Because these people are created to prolong the suffering. I mean, go look at the Vietnam War. You had this whole wing of the establishment promoting as though the Democrats were anti-war. 
until the 1968 when all these students get their heads bashed in outside of the Chicago Convention. And then the quote unquote hippies wake up and say, shit, both the Democrats and the Republicans are one. They're all pro-war. But it was this diluted concept of giving these these arguments. Oh, these people aren't that bad. Oh, you really think, um, you know, Tulsi's that bad? Do you really think Kennedy's that? Or, you know, that mm-hmm. argue, that notion. And when people broke from Lyndon Johnson or people broke from the left wing of the Democratic Party, and obviously the, the right wing was totally pro-war, that's when the war ended in 16 months. So the goal is, do we want to accelerate human suffering or do we want to decelerate it? What do we want to do? And in my view, it is bottoms up movements and Kennedy will prolong human suffering. So so, so let, let, let's finish the interview with a, a couple of sort of specific policy changes that let's let's say this movement, uh, God willing, succeeds. What specifically gets changed that changes human suffering? Let's not talk about the broad uh, uh, generalities of systems theory and such, but let, let's just talk about like something well, this really is concrete, every, something concrete. Everything we do, that's everything affect we do, some but, so first of all, Everyone should come. John will put up um, on our town hall every Thursdays at 11 a.m. Every Thursdays at 8 p.m. I run these town halls. It's probably an 18-hour day for me, you know? Um, and I have to be very careful with my voice because it's on the ground. People are like, wow, I get access to Dr. Shiva. Yeah, you don't get access to Trump. You don't get access to these people, but I'm live. Yeah, and I appreciate that you've taken this much time to answer yeah. these questions. Well, this is the yeah. difference because no other candidate is talking about that curve. Because it'll implicate yeah. under the curve is all of them. So it's a, a great place, thing to put on the front page. I right. from, the policy, yeah. from the policy perspective, that curve mm-hmm. shows every one of the elites, every politician, every academic, every person of note has not talked about that. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and it, it show it's a very graphic representation of the failure of the establishment, the rulers of today. Yes. <laughs> what, um, what better illustration could you possibly find? Yeah. Boo. B. Kennedy's been taking money for decades, Children's Health Defense Fund. What the fuck have you done? Nothing. All right. Every single one of them, the Clintons, the Kennedys, the Trumps, the Bidens, the Reagans, all of them are responsible for that. So once you get to that point, then the second question you asked very uh, brilliantly was, what's causing that? Right. What are the things really causing that? Well, that leads to understanding it's not any one thing. It's a bunch of things that have caused that. The fact that we don't we we've destroyed people's immune system we have an environmental policy that's screwed up we don't teach kids how to think there is no real great innovation going on we don't have governance the economy is destroyed right so every one of those i just gave you six items every thursdays at 11 a.m or 8 p.m we actually give the solution to those things concrete solutions ah, okay. so we come back come back to the uh the, the webinar for the concrete solutions yeah, give me one concrete solution you've come I'll, up with. Yeah, 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 I'll give you all of them, in fact. I'll give you the okay. crazy and all of them, okay? okay? But everyone can come, right? It's open. We don't ask people for donations. I've not asked for one cent on this thing because we give away stuff. People give us money. I give them courses. I give them books. It's a very different model. So on healthcare, what is their healthcare mm-hmm. policy should be? It's very, mm-hmm. I can talk about GPOs, PBMs, and da, 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 right? Simple is government ain't going to do anything for you. You have to take care of your health. And what does that mean? Well, you find out that the molecular pathways of aging are directly connected with the molecular pathways of the immune system. Very simple science. So forget government. They're not going to help you. You need to learn how to take care of your immune system. What is the immune system? Well, you learn that. I talk, It's all videos are out there. 
And then we tell you how you can take care of your immune system. Whether I get elected or not, you will learn how to take care of your immune system. We help millions and millions of people already in 2020. We're just scaling that. Does that make sense? Number one. Now, if I get elected president, what will I do? You know what I will do, uh, Kevin? I'll do the exact same thing I'm doing now, but I'll reach 8 billion people. Here's the immune system. These are the factors that affect it. These are the things you can do. Let people unleash a bottoms up movement from below. It's not going to happen. The presidency is corrupt. The legislature is corrupt. The judiciary is corrupt, right? I will be entering the swarm, right? So what will I do? I'll just do this, but I'll reach 8 billion people. Probably be shadow banned then too, right? (laughs) Environment. The bottom line with the environment is this. The fact is people can't even get healthy food. If people focus on themselves, it has to be very personal. Where's my food coming from? Why don't you support your local farmer? How do you eat on a budget healthy foods? We teach people that. We actually give people methods. Now, what that does is now they're understanding where their food's coming from. And this will lead to them becoming politicized because they'll realize why the hell is this apple so expensive? Why is it that a local guy grows chicken has to pay so much to have it butchered, right? Because because all these imposed laws are on them. So that's that. We teach people education. You know, Jay Forrester is one of the great uh, teacher at MIT, died when he was 99. He was the one who was one of the founders of system science. He felt you should teach kids system science at their kindergarten level. So we have made all of our stuff open, free to any child between the age of 13 through 18. And I'll do a synopsis of that, how to think from a systems perspective. When it comes so to that, it, it sounds to me like the single biggest thing you're offering here that's going to uh, help in all of these areas is teaching people system science. That's what I'm hearing from you. No, no, no. Well, you learn the immune system. You don't have to learn system science, but you learn how to take care of your body. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's health. System science is one piece of it. Okay. Right. But we encourage people to learn that. But in our, our campaign is not saying, oh, when I become president, this is what I'm going to do for healthcare. Our campaign says, this is what I'm doing for healthcare now. When I become president, I'll just do more of it. This is what we're doing for the environment. When I become president, I'll just be able to do more of it. Mm-hmm. Educational systems have to teach. Everything's a system. This is a system. The body is a system. Transportation is a system. Mm-hmm. Children have to be trained in systems. For example, logistics. You know, in some parts of Europe, children, it's 17% of the world's economy is logistics, supply chain. It's all system science. It's operations research. No kid in the United States learns how an apple from you know, Seattle ends up at Whole Foods in Cambridge. The level of supply chain logistics that we've created in the modern world, it's quite extraordinary. Mm-hmm. The average person yeah, doesn't- And fragile. Very fragile, right? So we teach people that, you know, in our lecture on innovation, I teach people the seven laws of innovation. This is done in our town hall. You don't have to take the course, nothing. And then when we talk about governance, we actually teach people, you know, I give- lessons on if you're going to build a small company how do you hire people how do you fire people you know everyone says oh poor trump yet he didn't know who to hire this is what they say so so trump you know here he is with fauci who is the swamp didn't fire him bolton and and bolton all these guys kushner and yeah every every single one of them and then when it comes to the economy you know 90 percent of the ceos kevin don't even know the difference between a balance sheet an income statement and a cash flow statement. We teach people that. I don't know if you know that. So people aren't learning where money comes from, how you manage it. Why is it my dad comes with 75 bucks and then he buys a home within a few years, right? How do you save? You know, in 2008, when banks failed, many of the Indian banks didn't fail because there's a 
culture of saving, right? A culture of not when you get your uh, check from the government, you go buy some Kim Kardashian nonsense, right? Yeah, same thing in the Islamic world too, actually. Yeah, it's it's like a very cultural model of having reverence for labor and frugality, right? In a deep, deep sense. So that's what we're teaching people. And this does not involve government. Now, if I become president, we'll just teach people more. The more we teach people, they will build the revolution bottoms up because they'll realize, wow, it's so hard to get fresh food for my local farmer. These are the policies I'm going to have to change. You're, you're taking the, this presidential notion of the bully pulpit to the next level. Exactly. And that's what I think the, you nailed it. The presidential, the best thing I can do is because I can articulate I can speak reasonably well, I can connect the dots, is to use a bully puppet of the presidency to unleash a systems revolution, bottoms up. That's actually, that's a good concept. The, the, the concept is when an individual raises their consciousness, they're going to do stuff. Right now, having understood the system's dynamics, I have to look back in a very humble way. What is a role I can do? And what are the skill sets I have? What are the unfair competitive advantages I have. Well, I, I know science. I know how to articulate. I've spent my, my time understanding this, and I know how to build a movement. So that's what we're doing. So our presidential campaign is a campaign about you. And by the way, Kennedy literally comes, he sends his people, they come to our events and copy our stuff. So I had done about two months ago, I said, we are the tip of the spear of, for, year, for years of a global movement, and it's about you. He literally takes those words and does a video. You know, when I exposed him in 2020, because, you know, I went to an event with him and, and I, I, this movie I did with him, you know, I went to his Aspen thing with uh, my former partner, Fran Drescher, and I won the, you know, he, he brings all these uh, mucky mucks to Aspen and everyone puts a million, you know, million dollars gets contributed, right? So I know all these guys. So I know these people. Okay. It's not, I'm, I'm, I'm a theoretician. I've been in the fishbowl. Okay. But when in 2020, I started seeing all these contradictions, many people are like, Shiva, don't expose booby. Work with him. You can be as popular as him. You know, all these mothers love you. This is in 2019. Mm -hmm. And then when I saw these contradictions, I had to do the custodial work like that untouchable cleaning the fucking toilets. And I had to expose the shit about Kennedy. I lost 20% of my followers. But it was the right thing we did, Kevin. Because this is what people need to do. And that's how we, we need to break people from these morons, from these scumbags who are all part of the top-down model. Mm -hmm. The Kennedys so don't give a fuck about you. So where, where do you think it's going to go? Is, do, you, do you really think that he his campaign is going to pick up enough uh, steam to actually have any effect at all? His job, please understand why he exists. I know you, you think he's going to have a negative effect. But I'm just questioning whether he's no, going to his have job enough to be. A his, his job is to distract a bottoms up movement and to put it onto him and to make money for him and Children's Health Defense Fund. That is his job. Okay. He is the master of distraction. That's why he's created. And that's why my tweets have been squeezed and he gets promoted. And he watches everything we do in 2020 when I exposed him. Every day, it must have done 10 videos. He got so angry, he wrote a blog post saying that I run a vaccine company. Smear campaign, classic Kennedy style. He said, I am uh, friends with Bill Gates. And he goes, I work for the Clintons. I had to sue him in federal court. Do you understand why I fucking hate this guy, Kevin? Sounds like it, yeah. Well, it, well, it sounds like if he copies everything you do, he's maybe he's going to come on my show for an hour and a half and and, and yell at you. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but um, no. What I'm trying to say is, do you understand what he did when I exposed him? Yeah, yeah. 
he put out a blog post saying I run a vaccine company. Yeah, that's completely insane. That's so so did, he, did you get him to retract it? We file a federal lawsuit. It's still yeah. a lot. 92 okay, million. Still, still going. Yeah. And then he evaded service. And then he defaulted. And then my own attorney said, oh, we'd like Kennedy. And he didn't do the service right. So I have to resurrect it. That's a level of Kennedy bullshit that everyone needs to remove out of their fucking brain. Okay, well, that's uh, that, that's that's the hardcore version of an argument that my audience has heard quite a bit from people like like Cat McGuire, Sam Hussein. He keep he, he keeps saying this, but he won't say it on my show. He he keeps bailing out at the last minute every time he's about to come on my show. So, is Sam, he, you got to come on here and t- tell me if, if you think that Doctor Shiva is barking up the right tree. And I know you do, actually, Sam. Sam, come on the show and, yeah, and give us your Sam, tell Sam he should grow some balls. And why is he <laughs> kowtowing to Kennedy? Kennedy's a fucking pussy. Okay. He's not kowtowing. He's, he's, he's saying the same stuff you're saying. No, 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 no. But by not words. vocalizing it, yeah, you yeah, have yeah. to vocalize the thing at the right time. Please well, come on my show and vocalize it. I don't <laughs> care whatever show. You should vocalize it. Every every person who understands what I've shared, there's nothing debatable here because it's all fact. Kennedy had people had to be vaccinated before they came to their home, then blamed his wife. Kennedy banged 28 women while he was married, had a diary, and then did this whole solemn thing over his wife's casket, and then exhumed his wife's casket the next day and moved it to an unmarked grave. This guy's a complete fucking scumbag. Okay, should we leave it there, or do you want to leave it with a more uh, well, uplifting? You know, I really want to, I think, <laughs> you know, part of what I wanted to do was, you know, the other scumbag in this model is Tulsi Gabbard, okay? Two scumbags are going to unite. And, you know, the way I titled this was Tulsi Gabbard is a military industrial academic comp. She is a military complex. So people should recognize that we live in a world right now that the movement for truth, freedom, health has created, has not, which never existed before to expose the not so obvious establishment, which has always gotten away with it. Historically, they create the not so obvious establishment. Obvious establishment. Oops. We, we just had some kind of a glitch. I'm not hearing your audio. I don't know if it's on my, I think your dog's just unplugged your audio, Dr. Shiva. <laughs> uh, so I'm not hearing the uh, the audio. And uh, yeah, I think somebody needs to, re- to replug the audio. Um, <laughs> those are cool, cool looking dogs though, I'll tell you. Uh, and I, I, I guess they're, they're, your, they're the equivalent of the secret. Secret service that uh, that that Bobby Kennedy can't get. Well, you, you've got protection there. Uh, nobody's going to mess with you with dogs like that. <laughs> yeah, looks like we we lost somehow lost the audio, and I have no idea why. You're not muted officially, and uh, I think I still think the dogs figured out a way to do it. I think there's a paw print on the mute button there. <laughs> oh well, well we. We don't have audio. I don't know if we should be signing off or if we should wait till we get the audio back to sign off. Um, Because that's a heck of a way to say goodbye. But, uh, oh, I'm getting an email saying, hey, great interview with Dr. Shiva. Uh, So we've got live viewers right now. And that was uh, Simon who gave me the shout out there on the email. And, well, that's encouraging. That's cool. We've got got a good live stream going here. And I, I, I don't know if my words are going out on the live stream or not so maybe simon can send me another email and tell me if it's still working because uh for some reason i have lost dr shiva's audio i wonder if there's somebody out there who doesn't like what he's saying i can't imagine why that would be oh boy 
but it's a great uh, a great widescreen view we've got here of Dr. Shiva and his dogs. And he's telling me to wait just a moment. He's got something going on here. Uh, we're, we're, we're working to restore the audio with a systems approach. Uh, back. There we go. You're back. It worked. That would be weird. Yeah, I don't know what that was. Uh, some, sometimes we we uh, professional conspiracy no theorists get paranoid changed, about these things. We changed nothing here. Huh, that's really strange. What happened was the camera suddenly stepped back, and we saw yeah. your your dog in your studio and everything. Your two dogs. Yeah. I, so I blamed the dogs. I thought there was going there was a paw print on the mute button, but oh. huh, maybe it's the NSA's paw print or somebody somebody like that. I don't well, know. yeah, Dr. Shiva, um, since you're in Zoom, you can't see the comments here, but can I read you something? Yeah. So, so John's got some comments that we've got. Go ahead. This is actually okay. amazing. You're gonna like, go ahead. Read the so comments. These John. are these are all from the same person. Yeah. Just, like, Dr. Shiva has borderline personality disorder where he is incapable of seeing the good and bad of each individual clearly and only sees black and white. I just want to awaken people about Shiva's mental condition. This is why he can't say anything good about RFK Jr. and others. His perception is seriously flawed. To mix all the elites together as evil is complete BS. Every individual has a different level of good and bad attributes. Yes, I have seen the Swarm video and it shows a basic overview of the organizations that the elites use to control the masses. However, he overlooks the power of established religions and their propaganda and power. He also gives the false impression that the quote, top 10,000 10, elites are working together. Uh, this is completely BS as the elites work as individuals and in small groups to promote and empower their own agenda. This is the cherry on top. My father, former head of the physics department at Yale, co-inventor of the digital auto audio technology in his 20s, had a far greater level of intelligence. I was blessed to be his son. Yes, I do believe that Dr. Shiva invented email, but that is nowhere near the intelligence needed to be one of the top research physicists in the world for over 40 years. What is this guy saying? Wow. that, that You guys have some interesting uh, fans. Some fucking some fucking rich kid rich kid who is the son of a Yale's professor is saying that the elites don't work together. Yeah. So let's just talk about this moron. So think about this is why we don't give a fuck what Kennedy does. We don't give a fuck what Tulsi Gabbard does. Her, you know, all these people come top down, Kevin, and they all need to be shattered because that is why they make our attempt to make our movement invisible because they okay, don't. Know but, yeah, Dr. Shiva, sorry, you, you you've said that. In terms of what this guy said, well, yeah, but, but this, quick, quote, quick, yeah. this quote reflects that you have a son of a Yale yeah. professor mm -hmm. commenting on the fact that I have mental problems because I'm coming bottoms up. You know, let's bring yeah. him over to Newark, New Jersey, mm -hmm. and see how everyday people will deal with him when he. But, makes okay, wait. Yeah, yeah, taking away this bizarre ad hominem factor that we heard from this guy, it was he. he his email got stranger as it went along. I don't know what he was smoking, but but the, the, well, that's, that's the, a good thing. But, what is he smoking? But but he might have he might actually have a point that's worth arguing about, which is the question of whether elites tend to monolithically unite to defend their interests against ordinary people. And yeah, they do. But do they? Are there, is there also a lot of infighting among elites where each what individual that? member of well, the elite we, is fighting we, for their own interests? That's and what then we they talked about in the yeah, swarm video. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, the idiot didn't watch the video. Mm -hmm. Because it's called a swarm. A swarm, if you watch how a swarm moves, sometimes it wants to move here. And then there's an aggregate motion, right? There's competing motions within the swarm. 
but mm -hmm. in aggregate, they stick together. Okay. So it's an, it's called an emergent property of a system, but this fool and his father are too dumb to understand that. And God knows how many people they had to kiss to get into Yale, right? So that's what they are. <laughs> and by the way, let's just be clear. When you go to Yale, a place like Oxford, they create a dossier on you. You have to be within certain bounds to even become, anyone who becomes a professor at Yale has sold out 50 times over. So I feel so uh, how, how about MIT? Well, MIT is very interesting, right? The day I came to MIT, I started exposing MIT, right? And they thought they would get this brown skin guy who would become a professor there. I couldn't do that model. But now, the, don't, don't they have some fun, funny business going on in their media lab with like Jeffrey Epstein oh, yeah, and pedophilia yeah. so tours the, to Asia? I was the only like alumni who said that that Raphael Reif should be thrown in prison and should resign because Raphael Reif, the president of MIT, took money from Epstein after he was convicted. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Yeah. Like my life journey. He didn't been, know. <laughs> yeah. What I'm saying is if you go look back to pre-1970, if you really go back to pre-1940, you know, the destruction of academia took place. Um, a very, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Dennis Noble, David Noble, who was probably one of, one of the great true academics, was too radical for MIT. He's the one who exposed two weeks before his tenure was due um, that the fact that MIT scientists, engineers had stolen the entire control systems model from a Michigan mechanic, and he was denying tenure for that, right? So he sued MIT. And he, he just, in his win, he just said, I'd want all the depositions released. Then he went to the Smithsonian, where he became a, uh, one of the, uh, you know, heading up a part of the Smithsonian on technology. He wanted to do a Luddite exhibition, and he was thrown out for that. Okay? Oh, man, that's too bad. That's a great topic. And, and then he was at York University. He was saying, why are the Zionists getting preferential treatment, even though he himself is of a Jewish background? And then he was thrown out for that. Interesting. So, cool. Well, yeah. speaking of the Zionists, uh, Dr. Shiva, yeah, um, I, I've, I've been labeled an anti-Semitic conspiracy theorist by the ADL primarily because yeah. I started talking about 9-11. Well, long, long before I even mentioned Israel, they yeah. started attacking me in all kinds of bizarre, nefarious, and mendacious ways. Uh, I, my, they smeared me on my Wikipedia page for years and years, claiming that I was a supporter of a bunch of Holocaust deniers that I had nothing to do with and didn't even know who most of them were. And I don't know. So anyway, long story short is that after that experience, I looked into a lot of these issues raised by the kind of people who get labeled anti-Semitic, and I discovered there's actually a lot of legitimacy to many of those issues. And I was wondering if you've looked into any of those issues and what your take is on that um, well, know, so-called Jewish question and Zionism. Well, first and of all, like let's not conflate Judaism, Israel, and Zionism. Zionism is racism in the service of imperialism, period. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Zionism is racism in the service of imperialism. And you don't have to be Jewish to be a Zionist, right? Zionism is racism in the service of imperialism. Bobby fucking Kennedy is a fucking Zionist. He's an ultra Zionist. I'm surprised yeah. you haven't brought that up before. I did. I'm the one who tweeted about it. Go look at the. Right, right. Tweet. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, in this that. interview, though, you've been, I, you've been saying all kinds yeah, of things well, about well, him. But, well, his, yeah. So Tulsi Gabbard is a Zionist. She was hanging around with that Schmoly, whatever his name is. Hmm. Uh, you know, Boutique or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And also Sheldon Adelson's wife. All yeah. of them have to suck up to Adelson. He's the biggest mm -hmm. Zionist. So mm -hmm. Tulsi Gabbard, you know, as I wanted to share, when you connect us all together, she is the one that they're going to push forward as the next anti-military industrial complex person when she is the military industrial complex. Anyone who supports Zionism is supporting the military industrial complex. 
Usually it does work together, does Yeah, neocons. Yeah, they're one and the same. War, Zionism, racism all come together. And the reason this is personal to me is, you know, the last three years of my high school, my parents moved to an all-Jewish high school. 4,000 predominantly Jewish kids, Livingston, New Jersey. You know, I aced everything. I was a number one student. And that really bothered these people because only the chosen people are supposed to do well, you know? And the level of nonsense I went through there is quite interesting. You know, we can have a whole discussion on that. But I know from a firsthand account that Zionism is racism in the service of imperialism, period. Well, you know, spe speaking of your experience uh, in the Jewish high school, have you seen uh, Ron Unz's work and other work on that issue of the Harvard lawsuit around discrimination and uh, a reverse discrimination entry into colleges and Ivy League schools in particular? Uh, Unz's work shows that not only are Asian Americans being massively discriminated against in Ivy League admissions, but uh, white non-Jewish students are being discriminated against even worse than the Asians. And the biggest beneficiaries, of course, well, naturally, uh, African-Americans are big beneficiaries in terms of discrimination in Ivy League uh, admissions, but uh, Jews turn out to be massively uh, over, not a well, at X level of achievement and test scores, your chance of getting into the Ivy League Go up something like seven hundred percent if you happen to be Jewish. Uh, yeah, and this so, so there's a there's a guy at the Harvard Ed School who did a thing. He says rich dumb kids are getting into Ivy League school and smart poor kids are not. Okay, and you can take that any way you want, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean the bottom line is that we need to acknowledge in a very profound way that the military industrial academic complex with Tulsi Gabbard and Robert Bo Booby fucking Kennedy support wholeheartedly uh, is completely related, you know, uh, profits and support Zionism. And all these people are Zionists ultimately. And they support the butchering of the Palestinian people, which is so fucked up. And, so. and it's interesting that no candidates ever seem ma major level, high level presidential candidates uh, ever go against that, ever. I mean, I'm the first US presidential candidate who's called, who's said Zionism is racism in the service of imperialism. And they can't fuck with me. They can't say I'm an anti-Semite. Let, let them say I'm an anti-Semite. <laughs> what do you mean they can't say that? I would well, guess that I'm they probably will. Yeah, but the reality is, you know, I have a sort of a, a different position of the racism I've suffered at the hand of Zionism, you know, and I can talk about it. So how, how have you suffered race, uh, racial discrimination? Let me give you one example. Let me give you one example and I'll close this on it. Okay. I remember being in high school. Very interesting story. My mother, uh, who was very into education, um, you know, really wanted me to excel. So anyway, I had won uh, all the school awards. You know, it was, you know, the graduation date of my eighth grade. Sounds like you had a Jewish mother. What's that? You had a Jewish mother. And my mom Just was kidding. a poor Just... woman. If I showed you a picture of her, um, she came at a time when women weren't supposed to get any degrees. There's a picture of this dark skinned Indian woman with a hundred white, you know, very light skinned Brahmin men. Okay. So my mom was quite extraordinary. She's not a Jewish mother. So Great. far. From yeah, no, I, I, I didn't mean uh, to, uh, yeah, well, actually, I actually, I, I think that's a really cool well, story, but it's just the joke. Yeah. The stereotype. Yeah. So here's what I experienced. So this was, uh, I think it was 19, I forget 75 or something. Uh, 76, I had won every award of my mathematics teacher in a room full of the entire high school, or I think junior high school, says, you know, typically we give two awards 
in mathematics and science. But he goes, no one could come close to Shiva in 32 years of my uh, teaching, Joseph Summer. And now the unfortunate thing was that night, the previous night, my mom was unable to attend this award ceremony. And I really did it, you know, to pay in honor of her, how hard she had worked because she had been involved in a massive head-on crash and she was in the ICU. All of her teeth were busted. We, would, we didn't know if she was going to live or not. Okay. So me and my father came to that very somber and there was a big standing ovation given to me. Everyone stood up and, you know, and, and so we're leaving the auditorium and this Jewish mother comes running up to me, Eric Greenberg's mother, remember this. And she has done nothing great. My son Eric could have won this award had he decided to work hard this year. Your son has done nothing, screaming at me. Wow. And I remember still, I can still remember this, looking at this woman and seeing her level of rage and absorbing that, realizing how fucked up this was. Mm-hmm. Had I been Jewish, she wouldn't have said that. Mm-hmm. And I now, now quick, quick here, I, I want to float this by you. You're, you're obviously pretty sharp. I bet you can judge this theory real quick. Okay, what is it conceivable that you know psychoanalytically, uh, infantile circumcision, which you know babies ripped out of the mother's arms, taken by this dark, scary figure, uh, brutally tortured, given back to the mom, right? Now this breaks the attachment, right? Bowlby's attachment theory says that attachment between the baby and the mother is crucial to future psychological development. Breaks the attachment, leaves a PTSD scar on the baby. And then later in life, is it possible that that mutilated baby is going to grow up and believe the tribal programming that tells him that there are dark, scary strangers out there who want to do terrible things to you, like push you in the sea or throw you into gas chambers? And of course, it turns out that the actual scary stranger that created that whole complex was the rabbi himself. Is that uh, something that Sigmund Freud would perhaps yeah, I don't approve know. of? I don't know. I mean, we could, yeah. I don't want to speculate. Because what you just described yeah. shows, you know, it shows well, all I kind know of... is what I've, what I've experienced, yeah. right? Yeah. Was this utter nonsense, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, I think the bottom line is that anyone listening here should understand that our, my candidacy, you know, our movement, there's been nothing like this ever. It's truly a bottoms up movement. I represent somebody who's actually had to fight. Uh, you know, I don't I, I don't give speeches saying, oh, you know, I understand your plight. No, I have lived that plight. So it's time people get off their ass, stop being theoretical, stop being academic about this, recognizing that our movement exists and roll up their sleeves, go to shivaforpresident.com, volunteer, get a bumper sticker and become part of this movement, period. That's it. Dr. Shiva, you are an honorary truth jihadi. I appreciate your outspoken devotion to calling it the way you see it. Keep up the great work. God bless. And I do Thank hope you. to stay in touch with Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Okay. Take Be care. Well. Thank you. Best you to you too. and your family. Bye-bye. All right. God bless. Bye.